just that I love this church. This is such an awesome church, and it, it is so cool to see you guys here. I'm sure if you have family who goes here, that's, that's a huge gift. That's a huge blessing. So I'm just honored to just be a part of this study of James with you guys tonight. And uh, we're going to actually pick it back up in chapter 1, starting in verse 16, just three verses tonight. But would you just stand with me as I, I read the Word of God together, just out of reverence of, uh, for God's Word. So go ahead, you could either uh, read along with me or you can just listen. I'll give you a second to turn there. James chapter 1, starting in verse 16 through 18. James chapter 1, starting in verse 16 through 18. James writes this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's God's word. You can have a seat. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before your word, God. We thank you that we can come and worship you together, that we can play games in our teams, God, that we can hear your word, the living word of God right now. And I pray that you would speak to every single heart that is here, youth and adult, God, and use me, speak through me, God, and minister to every single soul here. So bless the preaching of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the main question I want us to consider tonight is this. What do you need most with a heart that is prone to deception? What do you need most with a heart that's prone to deception? So we get this word deception. It comes from the word deceive. And when you're deceived, it's the state of believing something that's not true. We know that. It's the state of believing something that, that's not true. And so today, we live in an age where, in a good way, the biggest and most obvious scandals are condemned. Uh, from cheating financially, cheating academically, cheating in marriages, cheating through in sports, through performance-enhanced drugs. Like, that's not good, right? So those things are still condemned. While at the same time, we live in a culture in a crooked way, in the biggest and most obvious ways, deceptions are celebrated. And just to name two, the LGBTQ agenda and abortion, just, just to name two. But let's bring it down from these big cultural issues closer to home. Actually, let's talk about the things right in our own hearts. And this is especially appropriate because I know that the theme that's being addressed and that the church is calling a youth group for James is what? Wholehearted. Wholehearted. Not having hearts that are divided. Not having hearts that are deceived. So for instance, maybe you're having some friend drama. A friend's throwing you some shade, giving you the cold shoulder. And the deception that you speak right in your own heart is this. I'm absolutely alone. That's a lie. That, that's not true. And the truth is, there is a God who sees, a God who cares, and a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or maybe you got a bad grade. You got a bad grade. Or maybe you're on the trajectory of getting a bad grade, and the deception you speak right in your own heart is, I'm worthless. 
That's a lie. That's a deception. Your worth is not wrapped up in your achievements. Your worth is not wrapped up in your works. It's not defined by your works. Or maybe you have a friend who is now subscribing to the LGBTQ agenda, and the deception is this. I have to affirm everything and anything my friend believes and my friend is so passionate about and what they are so outspoken about, even if it costs me throwing my Christian convictions out the window, because that's how I can actually love them. That's how I can actually be there for them. That's a lie. The truth is you can love them best by being a gracious and also courageous example of someone who can respect and be kind to them and still hold fast, hold firm to your Christian convictions. So what do you need most with hearts that are prone to deception? Well, the key idea is this. I don't have it in the handout, but you can write, write it down if you want. With a heart prone to deception, you need truth for life. You need truth for your life. The truth of who God is and the truth of who you are in light of who God is. That's why the message is titled, Truth For Life. But really, truth for your life. Which brings me to the first point in the message tonight, which is this, be aware. Be aware about what? The truth about lies. Lies lead to spiritual death, and God is not behind this. Verse 16 says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And the original language in the Greek, it really sounds like this. Make no mistake. Don't be misled about this truth. Think about it. What do people who truly love you the most tell you? Who, the people who really love you the most, like what do they tell you? They tell you the truth, right? Don't they tell you the truth? They tell you really how it is, right? They don't sugarcoat it, they just tell it, they just give it, just give it to me, right? That's how you speak to your friend. Just tell me the truth, man, just tell me, right? They don't tell you what you want to hear and then affirm and celebrate your sins that lead to tragedy and death. But those who love you actually are not afraid to confront you. Why? Because they deeply care for you. They care about you. They care about your flourishing 360, all aspects of your life. It's like God in the garden of Eden calling out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Have you eaten of the fruit of which I commanded you not to eat? And there's actually like four questions that God asks Adam and Eve. And God is what he's doing with those questions. God is confronting his creation with a series of questions out of love. And God is inviting them out of hiding, out of the shadows to step into the light, to tell the truth. Just be real. Be real about your sin. Be real about your mistakes. Step out of the shadows of darkness among the shrubs and step into his marvelous light. So likewise, in our passage tonight, James is writing to the same tune. He's writing to the same note. That's why James says, do not be deceived, my beloved. Reminding them that this truth is out of love. And what I want you to see is that God's confrontation from his word is actually God's love. God's confrontation is actually God's love. 
So on one hand, don't be deceived about the previous verses that come before verse 16, starting back in verse 13. The truth about lies, number one, it is a lie that God is tempting you. Okay, that's the first half of verse 13. It's a lie that God is setting you up to fail. That's the second half of verse 13. Number two, in verses 14 and 15, it is a lie that leaning into your desires, the desires of your flesh brings life. That's a lie. And the truth is, it brings forth the exact opposite. It brings forth death. Do not be deceived. It is not God. It is your own sinful and lustful desires that lead you into sin. They lead you ultimately where you don't want to go. So if you follow your hormones, they're going to lead you to where you ultimately do not want to go and only to bitter regret. In other words, it's your cravings for things that are inappropriate that lead you away from God and into sin. So think about it. It can never be God using sinful desires and temptations to draw you to himself. That just doesn't make sense. So don't be deceived by false promises of pleasure that actually can't satisfy. Don't be deceived by bait that is attractive on the outside, but has a razor sharp hook on the inside. For when you bite, it will only drag you away from God, lead you into sin, which leads to death. 185 years ago, one of America's most famous and influential outdoor enthusiasts, John Muir, was born. Okay? So, so his descendants are all those with hydroflasks and all the packs and all the tents and all those gears, right? Those are all his descendants. But John Muir is often quoted for saying this. The mountains are calling. I must go. Right? I must go camping, I go hiking, I gotta get to nature, I gotta get to creation. The mountains are calling, I must go. We can even say, the mountains are calling, I must obey. But I want to bring this question to you tonight in the same way. Who or what is calling you to where you must go? Where must you obey? Who or what are you being seduced by? Who or what is appealing to sinful desires within you? Are sinful desires being stirred within you by the books or the things that you read? Or the music that you're listening to and taking in? Or the things and images that you're also taking in? Who or what is calling out to you? And what is it calling you to obey? What is it? Because James says, do not be deceived. For while this world tries to clothe its best offerings to you in light, or just super good marketing, underneath, there's nothing but rottenness, corrosion, and death. Sin brings death. Do not be deceived. So how do you expose and combat the deception? How do you expose the deception in your heart, right in your own heart? How do you do that? A couple applications for this first point. Memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate. You want to write that down. Memorize and meditate on what? On the truth of God's word. Memorize. Why? Because it helps you get God's word into your heart and into your mind. Memorize so that you have God's word readily available to you in everyday life situations. Memorize God's word because when God's word is in you, you are more aware that God is what? With you. And meditate because it helps... God's word that's in you actually be on the forefront of your mind and actually to be at work in your heart when you're meditating on it. 
And when you memorize and meditate on God's word, you'll find that it's going to strengthen you. It's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to give you wisdom and insight. It's going to help you see and move beyond the lies and deception into the truth. And so you can do this practically by finding a scripture maybe that speaks to a struggle that you have in your life. There's something that you struggle with. Maybe no one knows about, right? You can find a scripture all by yourself. You can, you can just go through the word of God. You can use um, the reference in the back for key words. For instance, I'll give you two examples. Maybe you're, you, you consider yourself more shy and reserved, okay? I'm just more shy, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more introvert. I don't know. How many of you actually started high school where you can? How many of you guys are sophomores? <laughs> okay, several together. Some guys are still sort of high school, right? It doesn't have to just be in this context. But maybe you think to yourself, man, how am I ever going to make friends here, right? It's like, this school is massive. It's so huge, right? How do I even talk to people? Where do I even begin? Can God really help me in this? Or you're doubting, does God even see me in this huge campus? Does God even care? Don't be deceived. The truth is, of course he does. God is with you. And so what you can do is you can take a scripture like Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, where God says to Moses, who struggled with a lot with self-doubt and insecurity how, over his speech. And so God says to Moses this in Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says this, Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So you can take a scripture like this and memorize it, get it in there, and start meditating on it. And even turn it into a prayer that might sound like this. God who made my mouth, speak through my mouth. Use me. Help me to open my mouth. Help me to initiate conversations with people. Help me to make some friends. Another example is for those who maybe struggle with pride. Everything revolves around your work ethic, your effort, your achievement, your accomplishments, how you stack up against your peers academically, socially, or even musically, or even athletically. And perhaps everything you do seems to actually turn out just fine. The things you do kind of just turn to gold. It's, it's actually really great. So you think, why do I need God? Why do I even go to you? Why do I even go to church? Why do I even need God's word? I already have everything I need. I know what I need to do, and I know where I'm going. So who are, you, who are you to tell me I got it? Do not be deceived. The truth is, God deeply cares about who you are becoming. And the truth is, there's a great danger for those who are walking in pride. And to combat this pride, there can be humility instead cultivated within you. By taking scriptures like later in James chapter 4, verse 6, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You can take these scriptures and pray, God, before you humble me in my pride, I humble myself before you now. Or you can pray, God, help me to live for your glory not my own. So memorize and, and meditate upon God's word to combat the deception. But I want to add one more bonus. Because your engagement with the word of God can't just be cherry picking these verses here and there. 
only. You also need to be reading God's word regularly. And maybe your Bible reading right now feels dry, non-existent, discouraging. You feel like you open it up and you don't get anything out of reading God's word. I have two encouragements for you. Number one is this, exposure. Exposure. My wife is a dietitian over at Torrance Memorial. Um, she's, she's good at her job. And she's good at her job at home too, so my cholesterol has gone down quite a bit. <laughs> and so she says it takes, I thought, 20 plus times to a new food. It's actually 10, she told me. So basically, an exposure to a brand new food, maybe you don't like, you know it's good for you, it takes about 10 exposures before you're like, hmm, I like broccoli, right? And in the flesh, I like broccoli, bleh, like nasty, right? It's gross, right? Spinach, bleh, right? But you know in your mind it's good for you, right? Fun fact, there's twice as much vitamin C patches of that little tree than an orange. It's packed with nutrients and vitamins galore. You know it's good for you, but in the flesh, bleh, right? But you gotta expose yourself. You gotta give yourself to it, right? Actually, I love broccoli. I had it for dinner tonight, no joke, right? And 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 we've been exposing it to my my two-year-old or two-year-old or four-year-old, and, and my two-year-old Rachel's like, Daddy, look. <sighs> Why? She's been exposed to it like 200 times. <laughs> so you got it in the same way. If you're in a dry spell, you have to give yourself to God's word for long periods of unbroken time. 10 days, 14 days, 21 days. And you can't just crack open your Bible once and expect fireworks to pop off the pages and change your life. No, you might experience that at day 10 or day 20 or day 50 or day 100. It might even be day 100, 365 and took you the whole year. But I guarantee you that one day at the end of the year would be worth it because God will meet you in such a way that will change your life. So we need to expose ourselves to the word of God for long, unbroken periods of time. Second encouragement, if you feel like, oh, the word of God is hard and dry, is ask for help. What a great way to display humility. And you know what you can do? You can go directly to God. God, make me a man of your word. God, make me a woman of your word. Have you prayed that prayer before? God, put that appetite, put that desire, put that craving, put that hunger for your word in my heart. You can pray that. You can go directly to God. You can go directly to the source. And you can go to your small group leader. You can go to your Christian parents. You can go to David. You can go to Leighton. If you're full comfortable, you can come to me. And you can say, hey, I have a commitment to read the word of God regularly. Would you encourage me? Would you keep me accountable? And you know what? Doing so, I guarantee that you even doing that would display a kind of humility that would encourage the person you're sharing with and even challenge them. You are? I mean... To do that too. So you, God can use you to bless somebody through your humility and your commitment just by asking for help. So let's continue our passage. Verse 17 says this every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So on one hand, don't be deceived about the verses that we just read, you know, maybe last week or whenever you guys had last time going to the book of James, verses 13 to 15. And on the other hand, don't be deceived about this next verse, which brings me back to the main question tonight. What do we need most? What do you need most when your heart is prone to deception 
What you need most is the truth for life, the truth for your life, which leads me to point number two. Trust in the truth about who God is. Trust in the truth about who God is. And I just want to point out one particular truth about God, and it's this. God is the fountainhead of all goodness. God, see, God is not just good. God is not just like another good commodity. He is not created. He is the creator. God is the very source of all goodness. Everything that's good flows from God, the fountainhead of all goodness and perfection. Every good gift, every perfect gift, what comes down from our good and perfect Father. So two observations and one application here. Or two, two, two observations first. Number one, God's goodness is unperfect and unchanging. And then God's goodness is meant to transform you from shaky to steadfast. Number one, first, God's goodness is perfect and unchanging. And we see this in the second half of verse 17 that says about God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is making a direct contrast between God's unchangeable nature and the changing and shifting nature of the sun and the moon and the stars. One commentator writes this, I love it. He says, to the ancient readers, James's words would have thus proclaimed this. Testings or trials are not the result of arbitrary fate, meaning it's just, it's not just random, they're not random, but the faithful workings of a loving father, end quote. In other words, trials are not random. The hard things in your life are not random, but the faithful workings of a loving father. Just like, just like it says in the first half of verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The cosmic lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. God is unlike these cosmic lights that change and vary and dim and cast shadows. There is no change in variation with God. God is not random. God is not volatile. God is not unstable. God is not unsteady. God is rock solid. He is absolute and eternally resolute. In his glory, power, and wisdom, all comes from God, the fountainhead of all goodness for life, both now and everlasting life to come soon. Which leads me to the second observation. God's goodness is meant to transform you from shaky to steady or steadfast. In our passage tonight, you must understand that every good gift and every perfect gift aren't just the good things in your life, like, like that good breath of air that I just got, Ethan just got from a big yawn. That's good. That's good. I felt good. You got some oxygen, right? Back into your blood. Right? Every good and perfect gift isn't just the air that we breathe or the beaches that we live by or the friends that we have or sinking your teeth into that amazing double-double. I get a double single because of the cholesterol thing. But, um, or those things in our life. It's not just those things. But the good and perfect gifts from the Father of lights are also the trials in your life. Double single means one cheese, by the way. Two patties double, single, one cheese. Every good and perfect gift are not just those good things. They're also the trials, those hard things in your life. And the trials that God allows to pass into your life are actually like a scalpel in his good and perfect hands. 
Yes, there's pain, but there's also purpose to your pain. The purpose is to cut out and get rid of any infectious and deadly tumor of sin that lives within you. Right? The, the purpose of any good surgery is what? Is to promote healing and restoration and the flourishing of your life. And in the same way, trials in your life are, made, are meant to take you from a position of, of shakiness and sin that leads you to death, to security and steadfastness and steadiness in Christ that leads to life. Steadfastness to the rock of Christ. Trials in your life are meant to expose weak and faulty foundations. Like the shakiness of standing, could you imagine, on a pile of, of small slippery pebbles on one foot, right? Versus two feet planted, steady, steadily standing on the solid foundation on the unshakable rock of God's eternal word. The whole of James chapter 1 up to this point are distinct contrasts between steadfastness and wavering, steadfastness and being doubting, steadfastness and double-mindedness. And so James is writing to strengthen the faith of you, believers. And this whole chapter is, is James showing us that God is our steadfast light for a steadfast life. Steadfast light meaning the unchangeable character and nature of God. Meaning God is unchanging as the fountainhead of all goodness. God who is perfect and powerful. And so trusting in God as your steadfast light will make steadfast your life. And the way that God does this is by using trials in your life to further sanctify you, to further strengthen your faith, to further produce steadfastness within you. Listen, while this world says, my life has been transformed by my education, because my education helped me get a good paying job, and my good paying job has helped me get a good house and to buy good things, and so on. James is helping us to see that the transformation that God is seeking is not the transformation of what you have on the outside, but the transformation of who you are on the inside. So right out of the gate, starting in chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, what does James write? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet what trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces new cars, new homes, better friends, better jobs, right? No, right? That's silly. No, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And where is the steadfastness being produced? In you. In you. Now, I would consider myself a lover, okay? Not a fighter, except for this one time in middle school. Except for this one time in middle school. First time I ever got into a fist fight. I remember wearing these brand new shoes at the school, okay? You know how that feels? That feeling of wearing the brand new shoes, right? You're like, you're like, you don't even want to step in the ground, right? You're just like, oh man, you're ruined. Yeah, you know, so brand new shoes, right? Come on campus. And this dude, and you know the campuses, it's all blacktop. These were canvas, light-colored canvas shoes. He intentionally steps on my shoes. And so I started throwing blows. No, okay, I, I didn't throw blows yet. I didn't start throwing blows yet. But he stepped on them. Can you believe that? He stepped on them. Like, I, I don't even know why. It was so hard for me. That's why I remember it. That's why I can tell you the story. And on the surface, you could say, Rich, you cared way too much about these shoes. 
God was revealing to you that your shoes meant way too much to you. Yeah, I was upset about the scuffed shoes. Yes, there's some truth to that, but however, here's the thing. After the student stepped on my shoes, I actually didn't throw punches, not yet. I actually went and I shoved him to the ground. He was wearing this backpack, I remember, and so with the, the weight of the backpack, you know, pulling him back, and the momentum of my push, he flew across campus. Like Marvel, not he didn't do that, okay? But he was just off balance, I shoved him, and he did fall back quite a bit, I remember that. And you know, here's the thing, I really, in my heart, I really didn't want to shove him. But I had this one friend, not the best influence. Choose your friends wisely, for real. He instigated me, what are you gonna do about it? Right? Because he stepped on my shoes. All the kids were seeing it, right? All the students were seeing it. So my motivation of why I pushed the student was because of peer pressure. Plain and simple. Super simple. I didn't want to look like a pushover, so instead of being pushed, I pushed. I felt embarrassed over my shoes, and possibly over what my friends watching would think of me. This student was clearly flustered if everyone else saw him get pushed by another student and falling over, helpless. He wanted a rematch. So I can't remember if it was during lunch that day or the next day. This is, this is not a joke. We walked over to the handball courts. <laughs> during like recess or lunch, okay? It was like a movie. And I was literally, the handball courts are there, I'm literally walking this way, and he's, I don't know why, he's walking with me like backwards like this, when I walk away. I'm like, Okay, we're, we're going over there, and there's like a mob. All the students are coming, whoa, what's going on? Like, you know? And so that was happening. When all of a sudden he lunged at me and caught my left brow with a fist. Boom. I remember it right here. I remember there's this girl, Danielle, in the math class. I'm like, I just mean so and so out of fight. Do you see a bump? He caught me right here. And then I threw my own. We started fighting. In my, in my heart, I really didn't want to do it. I remember the, the punches I was, I, was, I was pulling weren't even full, full force. I was like kind of holding them back. Why? Because I really didn't want to do it. It was more because my world was centered around what my friends thought of me, how other people perceived me. I cared more about what maybe that person thought of me, and I don't even know what they're thinking about. I cared about it. This actually was a, a legit trial for me. This was a trial. And in hindsight, looking back, there was so much a younger, rich hung could have gleaned from this trial if I was only aware about the truth about lies and about the truth about who God is. The lies, what? The lie that my worth and value and acceptance is not based on my outward appearances, whether it was my shoes on my feet or what my friends thought of me. If I had known Christ during this time, because I wasn't saved, but if I had known the truth of God's word and who Christ is and trusted in the goodness of God, even in this trial, I would have been able to walk in the footsteps of Christ, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is an awesome verse. You guys should, should memorize this one. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. It's an incredible verse that's following after the footsteps of Jesus. So perhaps I would have been able to go straight to prayer and say something like this, Father, Heavenly Father, I am so confused. Why would this student step on my brand new shoes with no regard? I don't understand. 
And I'm not going to lie, Lord, this is tough. I'm quite upset and I'm quite angry. However, help me to let this go. My worth is not in my shoes. $39.95. I know people saw what was happening and saw that I just walked away, maybe thinking I was a coward. But Lord, I don't want to repay evil for evil. In fact, you told me to pray, bless, and even love my enemies. So right now, I ask you to bless this student. And whatever his motivation was, be working on his heart. In my heart, I forgive him and release him to you. Help me to still show this student kindness. And even if there is an opportunity, help me to say, hey, I don't know why you stepped on my shoes, but I just want to let you know I forgive you. God bless. Hope you have a good day. Help me, Lord. Be near to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? I bring this up because why? Because there is something or someone stepping on your shoes. There is something or someone stepping on your shoes. And what I'm trying to say is there are trials, big or small, that you face individually, every single one of you, every single day, even right now. And they either foster deception and division in your heart through sin or wholeness and steadfastness of heart that God wants to produce in you through your trust in who God is, the fountainhead of all goodness, even in your trials. Whether the trial maybe is a breakup or just crazy busyness or maybe not making the team or navigating friendships you know are not influencing you toward God but away from God. Maybe the trial is stress and worry about college apps in the future. Maybe the trial is health issues right now, going down right now in your family with mom or dad, aunt or uncle, grandma, grandpa. Maybe the trial is sibling friction and angst. Whatever it might be, the question for you is this. How are you going to respond in the trial? How are you responding presently? Are you believing a lie? Are you, or are you trusting in the unshakable character of God? Which brings me back to the main question again. What do you need most with hearts prone to deception? You need truth for your life. Which brings me to the last point here. Respond to the truth about what God can do. Respond to the truth about what God can do. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature, of his creatures. Number one, first believe God can bring you from death to life. That's what James means, means when he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It was God's will to save you from spiritual death and make you alive to God by the truth of his gospel. And there was nothing so good about you to make this the Father's will, and there was nothing so bad about you to eliminate this from being the Father's will. God's grace and love for you is not based on your good or bad performance. God's grace for you is not based on your immorality or moral morality and good behavior. It's not based on your wisdom or foolishness. It's based solely on God's will and God's will alone. Of His own will, He brought us forth. Now, let me just say this. Some of you might be sitting here and you maybe actually don't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've come to this church, you grew up through the children's ministry, and now you're in high school. And maybe you have doubts. And you know what? Doubts doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doubts just mean you have questions. 
And if there's anywhere to ask those questions and bring those questions, it's right here at church. It's right here with your small group and your small group leader. Right here with your church family, your parents. I just want to encourage you. It's good that you're thinking about questions and thinking about these things. And if that's you tonight, I just want to point you to the good and the perfect gift from above. The Son, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who said to unbelievers in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's actually the children's ministry verse of the month. See you guys nodding your head. Awesome. If you're unsure about your standing before God, the focus for you now is not so much that steadfastness be produced within you, as it is to look upon the one who is steadfast for you. Some of you may think you are steadfast. Some of you might think you are not steadfast. And the good news of Jesus Christ is this. You can rest. Because the call and invitation is to get your eyes off your own steadfastness or lack thereof. And look to the one who is perfectly steadfast for you. Now, does this mean that Jesus was never shaken? No. In fact, I believe Jesus was emotionally and mentally shaken to the core because the cross was before him. But his obedience never shook. It was rock solid. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, you guys can read it yourselves. But it says this, Matthew 26, 39, Jesus fell on his face and prayed. Yes, he was shook emotionally and mentally. Saying, my father, impossible, let this cup or trial pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' obedience was rock solid. And Jesus remained perfectly steadfast in this trial because he was able to humble himself in full submission to the father's good and perfect will. And it is by Jesus' steadfastness through his death, burial, and resurrection that can save and transform. So while the flowers fall, while we fall, and God through Christ, he can bring you forth. Like a fresh blade of grass springing forth from the dust. He can raise you up. He can lift you up by the word of truth, which is the gospel. He can bring you forth. God's word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be born again. And in order to have new life in Christ, in order to walk in resurrection life, you must be born again. You must be given new life. And the beautiful thing is this, you have been given this new life by God's own will. And you can have this new life because it is actually God's plan for you. Listen, Jesus doesn't move towards you with arms crossed like this to condemn you. No, Jesus moves towards you with arms on the cross stretched wide to welcome you. So my call to you tonight is this, respond. Respond to the truth of what God has done through Jesus to save your life. Put your trust in Jesus to save your life. Secondly, for the believer, you call yourself a Christian. God saved your life, and he wants to bear fruit through your life. God saved your life, and he wants to bear fruit through, through your life. In verse 18, it says, the rest of it says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, what does that mean? It literally means the first fruits were the first ripening fruits of the harvest. And those fruit, first fruits that were popping off those trees or whatever, the plant, 
fruit grows on trees. On the trees, it said tomatoes are fruit plant. That's all good. But the first fruits were a sign that there was more to come. And so in this passage, James is using it to refer to a kind of people, specifically a redeemed people set apart for his highest and most holy purposes. And it's a beautiful and glorious purpose that God has for our lives. See, no one dares sink their, their teeth into a rotten piece of fruit, right? If they did, they'd be like, this is gross, spit it out. Rotten fruit is as good as dead and it does nobody good. However, good fruit is beneficial and it does good to others. It's vibrant, it's bright, it's colorful. Everybody wants a piece. In other words, we were like rotten fruit that God brought back to life. So that your life can be fruitful, so that your life can be a blessing. You've been given a new heart so that you can produce good fruit. To live wholeheartedly and unreservedly and fully surrendered to God. There's a love that can actually spring forth because we are made new creatures in Christ. To love God with all. Submitting and surrendering and obeying His commandments with joy. And to earnestly love those around us with an earnest and pure heart. By how you listen and by how you speak. And God will continue to work in you so that you can produce, He can produce good fruit in you both now and in the days that come for His glory. And He who began a good work in you will continue that good work in you and through you. So, just to end, what do you need most with hearts prone to deception? What you need most is truth for your life. But how can we apply that life to our lives? One, be aware, right? Be aware about the truth of lies. And you can do that by what? Meditating and memorizing on God's word. And reading and exposing yourself to it regularly over long periods of time. Two, you can do this by trusting in the truth of who God is. God is not just good. He's the fountainhead of all goodness. So ask God to help you see and even experience his goodness in your trial. And lastly, respond. Respond to who? To God who can save your life and who can bear fruit. Life. I want to end by quoting Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2. And the psalmist writes this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in their heart. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this time. And God, I pray, Lord, as the students go break out into the small groups, God, that you would just help them to process, God, how you have spoken to them, how you have ministered to them, how you have convicted them, God. So Lord, I pray even in the small groups, God, that you would bear fruit. Lord, thank you again for your holy word. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Rich.